That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hi, I'm Brianna Seely, producer for Offscript Health. Welcome to the Heart of Healthcare. Before we get started today, I'd like to tell you another show in the Offscript Health podcast network, The Cycle. The Cycle is a podcast about endometriosis. Join host Melissa Boudreaux in listening to the stories from people all over the world and learn helpful information about the disease and ways to cope with it. Check out the latest episode, Across the Pond with Elva, where Elva tells us about her surgeries, the ups and downs of having endometriosis, and surgery tips for when you're in the hospital. For more information, visit offscript.com shows. The link will be in our show notes. Enjoy the show. August is breastfeeding month, and this year it hits different. We have faced a severe shortage of infant formula, with an out-of-stock rate surging to 70%. Just breastfeed is a common refrain, but that's not so easy. Not everyone can breastfeed for a variety of reasons, and we don't exactly make it easy for working mothers. In today's episode, I'm talking to Dr. Layla Strickland, a biologist and scientific communicator and co-founder of BioMilk. BioMilk is a woman-owned, Bill Gates-funded infant nutrition company producing cultured breast milk in a lab. All right. Layla, welcome to the Heart of Healthcare. Thank you. It's great to be with you. I want to open up with the recent formula shortage that has become a crisis for families in the U.S. Can you explain what happened here? <laughs> um, you know, I have some thoughts to share. Uh, it's it's certainly been just dramatic and unsettling to watch this situation unfold. And I think it's really revealed some fundamental problems with how we produce these products for babies in the United States we have a nation's entire supply of infant formula produced in just a few facilities. Uh, and we have a lot of pretty extensive restrictions on infant formula import that have left us isolated and vulnerable to any sort of disruption of, of our own domestic supply. And of course, you know, the pandemic that we've all been experiencing over the last several years has created really unprecedented challenges for manufacturing and including, you know, the, the interface with government oversight and, and inspections that are intended to ensure public safety. And then I guess finally, I'm sure we're all seeing the news uh, and it appears that there may have been some organizational issues that created conditions that also put safety at risk with a whistleblower report that was um, came out in June 
So, you know, at Biomilk, we're paying really close attention to the outcomes of the ongoing investigations into that scenario, watching closely for for Sturgis plant to come back online. And we're keeping tabs on discussions that we see happening on Capitol Hill that have been prompted by this crisis. It's put a lot of families in into a pretty precarious position. But I suppose that if, if we can take anything hopeful away from it, it's really shined a light on uh, on an issue that really hasn't gotten the attention that it needs in order to avoid some of these probably inevitable problems that would occur when we have just such bottlenecks around how, how we produce food for babies. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it was a, it's been a very scary time for these families. And I feel like the answers that families are getting aren't that helpful. It's like, talk to your pediatrician. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't water down milk. Talk to your pediatrician. Um, I can't imagine how pediatricians are handling this. Yeah, I'm sure pediatricians are inundated with questions. Anybody who, who you know, uh, has any any relationship with with feeding babies in this country, I'm sure is is overwhelmed and has been through this period. And I, I you you see all kinds of responses. And I think you know more than anybody, it's it's parents and people who feed babies who are yeah. scrambling when they see these empty aisles in the grocery stores. And um, it's really scary when you have have babies who are dependent on particular formulations to meet their needs. And even with, you know, some of the metabolic conditions that that really require certain products that are 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 really life or death situations for some people. So speaking of feeding babies, breastfeeding. Breastfeeding in public wasn't legal in all 50 states until 2018. <laughs> um, why? I mean, this is just so symbolic of the <sighs> mom shaming and stigma around feeding your baby. Yeah. Yeah, it's stunning. I uh, even as I was in the the lead up to to founding Biomilk, I remember being at a restaurant having a conversation with my sister about my plans for this company and was confronted by a man who was having dinner with his family and told me that he, he they, they couldn't even stand to eat overhearing me talking about breastfeeding, let alone, oh let alone doing it in public. <laughs> he was offended by the thought of someone feeding a baby. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. So, so disgusted that he couldn't eat. Amazing. So disgusted. Yeah. So it's out there. I mean, that's it, these are real experiences that women are having. My mom has told me the story many times, even, you know, uh, over 40 years ago of breastfeeding me and being confronted by another woman in a restaurant, you know, stating that that I was ruining her appetite. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do you feel about Facebook banning photos of breastfeeding mothers, but obviously a lot of other images that they accept. I think it's really sad and and really sort of part of a much bigger picture around just stigmatization and polarization and politicization of women's bodies that mm. we're seeing uh, happening in in many spheres of uh, women's health right now. Um, yeah. And and yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's really disappointing. Has it always been this way? Have has there always been stigma, or is this a, a modern day phenomenon? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a historian. So yeah. I think that but I do think, you know, we've we, we've seen changes in attitudes to breastfeeding over time, certainly, and, you know, corresponding changes in in how folks see formula feeding and other other choices for how you might feed your infant. And uh, certainly, yeah, current 
attitudes and trends are definitely influenced by other aspects of the, of the climate. And I think right now, you know, we're at a moment where we've seen decades of progress uh, for, for women entering the workforce and contributing and participating in and accessing the economy in ways that, you know, in other generations uh, weren't available. But we haven't seen the same kind of structural shifts that would be needed to actually help women achieve the the recommendations around breastfeeding. And so that's resulted in a lot of a lot of burden on the individual shoulders of mothers to figure mm-hmm. out how to navigate that. And it's not surprising that individuals confronted with this recommendation that that this is the best way to feed your baby, but then also an absence of resources and support for how to do that. Uh, it's uh, it's unsurprising that individuals feel shame and guilt about the predicament that they yeah. find themselves in. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, so we know that the most important factor in predicting whether and how long an American mother will breastfeed is whether she plans to return to work. And unfortunately, we're one of the only countries in the world without federally mandated paid maternity leave. Right. With 30% of new mothers having no maternity leave at all. And this obviously impacts single women or women in lower paying jobs the most. So we really can't talk about breastfeeding without talking about maternity leave. You mentioned kind of what are the systemic challenges. This seems like probably the biggest one. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And of course, you can't you can't start to talk about that without bringing up just sort of the disparities uh, that in, in how that issue just confronts the population. You know, women of color are the most likely to be in positions where they're the sole breadwinner for a household yeah. and and unsurprisingly have the lowest rates of uh, of extensive breastfeeding. <laughs> yeah, and then I mean your 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 options aren't great, right? Like right. formula is really expensive. Right. So you either return to your low-paying job without the ability to breastfeed your child full-time but pay a fortune for formula. Yes, exactly. Or you don't go to work. I mean, there's you're you're really stuck in between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's it's so important to to draw attention to these things now. And you know, perhaps perhaps this is one you know one other sort of silver lining of the formula shortage that we're in right now is that we can start to see you know we, it makes visible these problems for for yeah. policymakers and others who perhaps haven't paid enough attention. Yeah. So August is breastfeeding month, and this is really when you hear a lot of breast is best, what I call propaganda. But lately, we've been hearing from others, researchers like Emily Oster, who's suggesting that maybe breastfeeding is overrated. Maybe we need to consider the like consider breastfeeding more holistically. Curious your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting I definitely don't have the authority to answer the question of what is the best way to feed your baby. I'm not a clinician or a doctor, but I am a mother and have used infant formula to feed my own children as well as breast milk. And I think both of those options have have trade-offs and it's really important for parents to decide what is best for their family given the circumstances. And a lot of the the emphasis on the importance or benefits of breastfeeding really doesn't take into consideration the trade-offs that that decision may result in for uh, for families in different circumstances and situations. And so you get this kind of monolithic message that this is the best way to feed your baby, almost 
any parent would would want what's best for their baby. So that's very appealing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and and so, but that the the, the evidence that that's based on perhaps um, is is not as strong as as is being represented, and perhaps also you know, is not considering important factors like the mental health of the mother um, and and the challenges that she may face. Yeah. I mean, I I imagine if a woman is stressed, sleep deprived, there are negative impacts on her parenting and on that child that might be even greater than the impact of using formula versus being breastfed. Absolutely. Um, You know, and, and, you know, to make things even more complicated, by thinking about the biology of lactation a little bit, which is unfortunately just uh, a strongly neglected area of research. what, what we have begun to see is that stress really affects milk supply. <laughs> so mm. it's a it's a vicious circle of uh, factors that are, like you said, not helping and and likely impeding um, one's ab- ability to even physiologically continue breastfeeding. Yeah. So nutrition science is notoriously hard for adults because people eat a variety of foods each day. It's really hard to run the studies comparing, uh, you know, the difference in drinking one milk versus the other. But babies eat one thing. So I (laughs) would assume there's a lot of research comparing babies who are formula fed versus breastfed. Yeah, of course there is, you know, um, but but well, one point. I'll make two points here. One is that, um, you know, to say that babies eat one thing and that's breast milk is uh, a misunderstanding of breast milk. There there are no two samples of breast milk <laughs> that mm. are identical on the Good planet. Point. Every single mouthful of breast milk is uh, distinct and unique in its mm. composition. And that composition arises from a number of aspects of the physiology that produced it, some of which are evolutionarily geared towards the support of the development of the infant, but also many of which are evolutionarily geared towards the preservation of the mother's resources and protection Mm -hmm. of her investment in creating that, that product. So it's really a two directional relationship and the mother's body itself is also managing these trade-offs, you know, her, her investment is enormous in order to produce this substance. And so the substance is by definition, really dynamic and pretty undefined, which Mm. makes it hard to study (laughs) compositionally, uh, just the human milk research field and even characterizing what is breast milk. It's one of the, it's one of the stumper questions I like to ask people who are interviewing for a job at BioMilk is what is milk? Because, um, (laughs) it's, uh, it's a very easy question to answer to ask and a and a complicated one to answer but yeah. then beyond that you know of course you're right there are uh, plenty of clinical studies and a long history of clinical studies trying to compare breastfeeding to to infant formula and you know those th- there's certainly data uh, showing some differences in how babies grow or how those two different feeding modalities, affect digestion and things like this, nutrient absorption. But we, those challenge, those studies are also really limited in some ways because you really can't perform a, a randomized controlled trial in the same way that, you know, we expect for pharmaceuticals 
in an ethical way because you can't randomize babies mm. and mothers to uh, conditions where, okay, you're going to smoke cigarettes for six months and we're going to see how that affects your baby. Um, yeah. Or you're going to, you, you can't dictate in a clinical trial setting what the treatment groups are. So you have to go mm. for observational studies with, uh, with self-selected populations. And, mm -hmm. um, you're often bringing along a lot of confounding factors into those population groups then. Um, yeah. and, and some of the correlations that we already discussed around mothers yeah. who are more likely to be breastfeeding or not can, can definitely impact the, the results of those trials yeah. and make, makes it a more complicated nest to try to try to unwind and figure out what are the actual benefits of breastfeeding. <laughs> so there was that Ohio State study a few years ago where they looked at over 1,500 pairs of siblings that were raised in the same family but fed differently. And they found that there was virtually no difference in terms of BMI, obesity, intelligence, hyperactivity. They were looking at a number of things. Um, I thought that one was really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I think there have been quite a few studies similar to that uh, or, or that have have reached similar conclusions, I think, particularly around these long term outcomes and aspects that are measured, you know, long after the period of, of breastfeeding has ended and trying to correlate that back to how the baby was fed as an infant and isolate that effect from other yeah. factors that are likely present in that in that child's life and circumstances is really really difficult and so it's interesting like you said when you when you see you look farther out and you you see that the 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 differences really um diminish yeah well and how do we know that breastfeeding benefits are from the chemical composition of the human milk versus the mother-child interaction at the breast? Yeah, I mean, I think that's also another interesting question. I think you, from there, you have to really get into thinking about things like how, well, you, you've got to get specific about what endpoints and effects you're really talking about. You can't just put all the effects or possible benefits into one big bucket called benefits of breastfeeding and draw a conclusion about that. You can look at like the infant microbiome and the, the maturation of the intestinal tract in the gut um, as the baby adapts to, to <laughs> feeding orally rather than through the, the placenta and umbilical cord uh, in utero. And you can look at, you can look at, you know, growth metrics and other, other aspects, even stool frequency and things like this, but it's really challenging to just create one big category of, of benefits and then, and then draw a conclusion about that. So you've really got to get specific. Yeah. There are certainly inferences that can be made by studying the, the components that we do see in breast milk. But again, we're relying on on correlative data for the most part, more so than, than data that allows us to make conclusions about the causes of, of the effects that we're seeing. We'll be right back after the break. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So tell us about Biomilk and your journey to founding this company. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Biomilk is really um, a long time in the making for me. I uh, am, have a background in cell biology and uh, and studied cell biology in graduate school and spent some time as a postdoctoral researcher, was always working on questions related to how how cells control processes in order to, to determine our physiology. And I became a mother really in the last year of my postdoc, about six six months before my postdoc ended, and really was taken aback by how challenging breastfeeding turned out to be for me. I had I had taken all the classes on parenting and done my best to prepare myself for what I was about to experience as a new mom, but really had taken for granted that breastfeeding was probably what I would do and hadn't thought much more about it until I was home with my newborn baby and and he was hungry and I had him on the breast all the time and he was never satisfied. And um, it was a really, it was a just a really stressful period where I felt like I wasn't making enough milk for him. And he he was losing weight. And um, I, you know, mainly the advice I was given was, uh, well, just keep trying, you know, your milk supply will come, will increase based on his demand. And whatever you do, don't give him a bottle or a pacifier, just keep putting him on your breast and then keep pumping whenever he's not on your breast. So you get into this 24 hour kind of round the clock management of your milk supply and, and a lot of emotional distress that went along along with that. So, you know, I had many hours attached to a breast pump and, and as a, as a scientist sort of extracted from the lab during this period, I sort of took to the scientific literature to try to understand what was going on. Uh, what, why might my body be struggling to produce this substance to feed my child and learned about milk production very quickly that it actually is a, a process very similar to other processes I'd been studying in my research uh, using mammalian cell culture as a model. And so my mind just started turning on whether or not you could model lactation in vitro and use cell culture to to produce something that was like breast milk. And if you could do that at scale, could you treat that as an infant nutrition option? And, you know, the thought evolved over time. But by 2013, I was second time mother, <laughs> less probably emotionally distressed, but but certainly still having the same experience of of uh, of challenge feeding my daughter now. 
and uh, decided to go ahead and try to grow mammary cells to test out some of my ideas or at least see um, if they responded to cell culture the way that um, I thought they might. And so, you know, just in a very independent and limited capacity, I was able to grow some cells from uh, bovine udders, actually. I would go to the slaughterhouse to get the material and bring it back to the lab and see if I could grow the cells and look at look at what they looked like and see how they how long they could last in culture and some basic things like this. But, you know, at the time, I really didn't know how to start a biotech company. I did not uh, know really how to communicate about this in a way that that would would inspire other people to get behind. What were you? Yeah. What was your day job then? I was working in scientific communications uh, at the time. I was doing. Uh, I was working editing uh, manuscripts for scholarly publishing. Um, okay. And- and so I could do that remotely. It was a very flexible yeah. option. And so I could just kind of take my laptop down to this little lab I had and kind of hammer out some work in between uh, taking a look at the cells I was trying to grow. And yeah, um, yeah so I did that for a bit, but I uh, ended up after three or four years, you know, kind of unable to get it, get any real support behind it and really, frankly, kind of burning out on my own sort of lonely work there. Um, I had two small yeah. kids and I needed some stability in my life and, a, and perhaps a better paycheck. And so I transitioned into uh, pharma, uh, well, re- really working in scientific communications for pharmaceutical companies and learned a bit more about scientific storytelling and sort of the strategy behind product development and things like this. Also, learned a lot about cell culture products that that are being produced for introduction into the human body and, and the systems that are being used for that uh, to make, yeah. for example, monoclonal antibodies and things like this. And so that, that was further fodder for thinking about, well, what would a system look like if I wanted to put my favorite type of cell into it and see what product it secretes, which is, is hopefully something like human milk, what would that look like? And so that led to thinking about you know, sort of a proof of concept experiment that ultimately was able to to contract a, a lab to perform for me in 2019. And at this point, I had met my co-founder Michelle Egger, who um, whose whose background and skill set you know, she's a, a business MBA graduate from Duke and uh, has a lot of passion for maternal and infant health, had been working at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and conveniently also has a has a degree in food science and had spent time in dairy processing. So she knows a lot about Oh my milk. gosh. <laughs> yeah. So we fit together. With like, your two powers combined. Yeah, 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 exactly. So we teamed up in, you know, uh, informally in 2019 and that helped inspire me to get this proof of concept experiment contracted and run gave us uh, a little bit of exciting data that uh, was helpful in in um, starting to, to tap into Michelle's networks and be able to to get some support for this. So we were able to yeah. incorporate in January of 2020. And really, it's it's kind of been Great like timing. Yeah. Jeez. Jeez. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But, you know, we didn't we didn't slow down. We really just everybody always asks, uh, what's it like starting a biotech company right in along with the pandemic? And I really don't know any other way to do it. It's the only experience I have. So um, I think it's great. (laughs) Yeah. And then who who's like the ideal customer? Like what what is yeah, what's going on in their life where? Biomilk is the best option for them. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, I think uh, the the ideal customer is somebody who finds herself persuaded that that there may be some benefits to human milk, or the, at least you know the bioactives and and nutrient components that are present there that are damaged through the processing of infant formula or just simply not present in the bovine milk or soy bil- soy protein basis that those products are formulated from, but also um, is, is a person who for any reason, really, which is none of my business, is, is is unable to or uninterested in in extensive and exclusive breastfeeding for for that exclusivity period of at least six months that's recommended uh, mm-hmm. clinically. And so, you know, somebody who is finding themselves uh, in that middle zone where there are no options currently uh, between breastfeeding and breast milk and infant formula. Will this be something that you're going to try to get the cost closer to formula? Because right now I imagine yeah. it's more just because you're kind of yeah. more of a boutique. <laughs> yeah. One-off. yeah. And yeah. right now it's, it's, it's not available and it's a long ways off yeah. from even having a price, uh, you know, a, a price tag put yeah. on it and entering into the marketplace marketplace. But that's something that's really, really important to us. And so when we do our, our economic modeling and try to make technical plans for, for our, our launch of a product, uh, our, our intention is certainly to launch a product that's price competitive with infant formula and realistically probably competing with higher end infant formulas, the higher tier of infant formulas currently, but um, with with increased scale would be able to, to come down and be widely accessible. I really believe that this, this product won't have the impact in the world that I envision it having if it's only ever available to to wealthy women you know in fact i see yeah. that it could perpetuate inequalities uh in that case more so than than uh, address them <laughs> yeah and it's going to be personalized to the parent um you know Correct, that's a or... that's an that's an idea we've talked about uh in the past okay. <laughs> and i think at this point that's a very long ways off and probably not not scalable you know i think there i think we haven't we haven't run into any reason in our research to think that that's not yeah. technically possible, but I don't see it ever being practical or scalable uh, mm-hmm. in order to, to reach as many parents as we'd like to be yeah. able to. So it's it's really the, the, the value proposition is that it is human milk. Yeah. So similar to going to perhaps if you're not able to breastfeed and you have to go to the local Gosh, what's the, the milk bank? Is that what they call yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At your local hospital, this is helping kind of scale the availability of human milk. Yeah, exactly. Human and milk. Mm-hmm. Yes, human. Something similar to human milk, and that's <laughs> there's always some hand waving there as well. Um, you know, I always think it's important to emphasize that, that at this point, as we are understanding the products that that we're making. You know, we we need to note that there are many differences between cell cultured human milk, which is really sort of the the technical way I refer to it, 
and breast milk. It's not breast milk. I get really irritated when journalists insist that it's lab made breast milk. And you know, it's not mm. breast milk, um, but it's also not infant formula. It's something different. It's a very novel option, which is part of why, you know, we expect long timelines to be able to release it. Uh, it it's going to it's going to have a lot of hurdles to clear in order to get there. But, you know, there are a number of, of, of fundamental differences between what we would make in breast milk. And one of those is, yeah. you know, the absence of of those real time dynamics that you see in the composition of breast milk. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that breast milk is fundamentally uh, dynamic and variable and undefined. And we're trying to manufacture a product that's going to hit certain specifications batch to batch so that we can make sure that every every bottle that we release is is safe. And uh, mm -hmm. and so in that way, it's more like infant formula because it needs to be mm. consistent and standardized. And that's very different from what breast milk is. Yeah. So interesting. And when do you guys think you'll be able to launch? Oh, that's also always a really hard question. <laughs> that I hate to answer because it's um, you know, we have a lot we have a lot to do. I I would say we're um, you know, from a technical standpoint, we're probably three to five years off from having a, a, a product that sort of satisfies some of those those requirements for consistency and standardization. Um, and scalability that I've already referred to. Um, but there's also just a lot of unknown territory ahead in terms of uh, the regulatory scenario for a product like this. Of course, infants are the most protected class uh, of consumers, and rightly so. And so we wouldn't dream of releasing a product before we have uh, satisfied to, to our own and, and anyone else's full satisfaction that it's safe and can achieve the claims that we would would like to be able to make. And so, you know, from that standpoint, it's quite a few years off. And so for that reason, you know, we, we see a lot of opportunity between now and the launch of this product for, for use as an infant nutrition product into other markets and perhaps other formats as well. Like what? Oh, you know, we think uh, you, you sort of oral supplementation or you think about, you know, one of the conversations we've had a lot is that the, the digestive challenges that are faced by aging populations are are fairly similar in many ways to populations mm. of babies as their as their digestive tracts are maturing. You know, you have you have an immature digestive tract and in, in aging populations, you begin to have sort of a more permeable digestive tract as well. And we think that. Um, based on some of the components we see in our products, that there could be uh, some some effects on on promoting on gut permeability, basically. So mm. perhaps in aging populations or in other populations who have issues with gut permeability, there may be better opportunities to try out this product, and that would give. Yeah perhaps maybe just some more comfort for people. Um, I think it's a huge ask for people to think about feeding this brand new, totally novel product to their child in the earliest days of their lives. And I, I don't, I don't think it's fair to expect parents to sign up to be the, the first uh, recipients of that product. <laughs> yeah. But maybe the grandparents can be. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> verify it for give the parents right. more comfort so <laughs> right. interesting well is there anything else that you wanted to share no this has been a fun conversation we've touched on a, on yeah. a, a lot of the things that are really important and interesting to me what's the best way for people to follow along on biomilk and your guys's progress 
Yeah, well, we have uh, our website is uh, biomilk.com and we do keep a running blog there where we frequently write about about issues in lactation science or milk science and always have job postings there. We're always growing and moving quickly. And so if people are interested in in seeing what openings are available at the time, that's the place to look as well. Um, and then we're all over social media as well in uh, in Facebook and Instagram and you know all the all of those venues. Amazing. Well, Layla, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Heart of Healthcare. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. The Heart of Healthcare is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Brianna Seely. Our intern is Antonella Sterniolo. Our host is Hallie Tecco. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Brianna Seely. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com. <laughs>